Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is my friend, Jeff Robinson. Jeff, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Thank you, Dave. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to be on with you. Yes, sir. Can you uh, catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry? Uh, what are you doing ministry project-wise? Well, it may take a while. I'm, uh, I, I laugh. I like to joke that I'm a tri-vocational pastor. And that's really uh, that's really the truth. <laughs> Uh, I am, uh, well, first and foremost, I'm a father and a husband, uh, four children, and they're, they have three teenagers now, which uh, for your listeners, that's a prayer request for sure. Uh, I have a 16, nearly 17-year-old, nearly 15-year-old, a son, 17, a daughter, so about to turn 15, a daughter who just turned 13, and then a son who's 11. Uh, my two boys are busy playing baseball. And as a matter of fact, in the past month, my son's high school team has played 26 games in one month. Wow. Because they, he plays on both the varsity and the junior varsity, so he gets twice the has twice the fun and plays on both. Uh, usually two games, and I went two last night, and uh, we have none tonight, but we have two tomorrow night. So we uh, spend a lot of time doing that uh, right, right now. It feels like all I do is baseball, which, as you, as you know, Dave, that's fine with me. But uh, no, I'm, I'm uh, but uh, primarily I'm a pastor of Christ Fellowship Church, which is a, uh, a Reformed Southern Baptist congregation here in Louisville, uh, sort of in the orbit of Southern Seminary. I um, going on my fourth year. As uh, lead pastor there, had the privilege of serving with elders, uh, a good elder board there. Uh, we are uh, kind of a growing church. We're, we're kind of small, about six years old. Uh, we're working on a right now a mission partnership with the congregation in Chicago. I'll travel up there next month uh, to uh, through the through the North American Mission Board, the Kentucky Baptist Convention. We'll fly up there and uh, meet with some of those people and uh, do some missions work with them in, in uh, the Windy City. We hope. Uh, but uh, we're some of the senior editors of the Gospel Coalition. There's so much, always a lot going on with TGC. We just completed our national conference 2019, which was on conversations with Jesus uh, on evangelism. That was enjoyable, very busy for those of us uh, who staff TGC. Uh, kind of a, a grueling week, uh, needless to say, but enjoyable week. Right now for TGC, I'm uh, in addition to the book that's coming out, Faithful Endurance, which you and I are going to discuss here momentarily, I am working on two books uh, right now, one uh, on uh on words, on a kind of a theology of talk, what the Bible says about our words. The, the, the working title is "Trouble in, in Our Talk: God's Word in Our Words," and uh, it's um, that that's something that um, is near and dear to me. It's kind of arisen out of my own experience of talking too much over the past few years and, and thinking through all those issues. And uh, so that uh, written about half of that right now. I'm, I'm working on that. Also, a book on Charles uh, Spurgeon and uh, social justice, uh, which uh, that's not uh, you know that's a really small and not uh, not very controversial topic. As we know, <laughs> but it, it, it turns out Spurgeon uh, did a lot of social ministry as an extension of the gospel, as as a part of evangelism. And so I'm working on a it's a pretty big research project there, a, a book on that. I hope to have out by next year. Uh, the talk book will be probably early next year. The the uh, Spurgeon book will be sometime next year. I hope. Uh, but it's uh, I'm doing a lot of research in that uh, with Spurgeon and kind of the Reformed tradition and how asking the question how has the Reformed tradition uh, how have they done this. 
as uh, as a uh, an extension of the gospel. And I think Spurgeon is the best example of being faithful to that without falling into some kind of political reality or anything like that. So that's uh, those are things I'm working on now. Of course, just the usual diet of uh, of, um, of writing and editing day in and day out for TGC and uh, writing articles for other people. And uh, also, I'm an adjunct professor at Southern uh, Seminary and also Grand Canyon University. And right now I'm teaching a class at Grand Canyon Seminary in Phoenix on uh, pastoral ministry. And I'm going to go out there in about three weeks, spend a week with my students. Uh, I go a couple of times a year and teach classes out there. So, yeah, that's, uh, it's a busy time right now in our life, but it's a good, a good time. We have our, our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, has its annual meeting coming up here in just a few weeks in Birmingham. So I've got quite a bit of traveling on the horizon. I've had quite a bit the last two or three months. So uh, life's just a bit of a blur, but it's a good blur right now. Yeah, that is, uh, I think my head hurts now hearing about all that again. <laughs> you asked, my friend. I know, I know, I know. It, it's all good. It's not as bad, it's certainly not as, as grueling as it sounds. Or maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm the frog in the kettle, so maybe. I'm yeah, just you're just used to it like me. You're like, what? How do you do that? I don't even know. I don't know. By God's grace, there's the answer. Amen. That's, the, that's, that's the right answer all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, can you uh, please tell us about the book you co-edited with Colin Hansen, uh, Faithful Endurance, The Joy of Shepherding People for a Lifetime? Why you guys put it together? How, how is it being received, those types of things? Well, certainly. It's uh, a part of this kind of a loose series we're doing through Crossway, and we've actually published a volume through Baker as well. Uh, the first volume came out. About this time last year, last spring, 2018, uh, called 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me. I believe you had me on the show then. We talked about that and discussed that book. Uh, the series is really aimed at young pastors or new pastors in their first five years of ministry. Uh, because as we all know, that's the, the, the most treacherous time, most dangerous time for a man's calling. And the time when he's most prone to be really tempted to quit almost every day. I know that was the, that was the temptation for me a lot of times. It is for a lot of young men. And, and the statistics are just staggering. I mean, it's uh, I, I've read in places and reputable reputable uh, research has shown that uh, it's up to two out of three pastors uh, don't last. Um, I think it's one in three last is out of ministry in three years. Then five years it goes up to about sixty six percent, two thirds uh, are gone, never to return. And so that just speaks of the the nature of pastoral ministry today. So what we're trying to do is help these uh, men get through in some small way to to see to show them that. What you're going through is normal. That uh, pastoral ministry, the Bible anticipates pastoral ministry being difficult, being fraught with difficulty. And so faithful endurance is just that. It's in that same line, that same train, same thing. Uh, what we're seeking to do is encourage these men to be faithful over the long haul, not to just go somewhere and stay, you know, two or three years and you get tired and worn out and burned out and you quit, but no, to, to endure for years and years and years. We have uh, a number of uh, long, long, uh, long-suffering pastors who have written for this. I love the format. Uh, the format is um, each chapter has a, has a short letter from a young pastor written to a veteran pastor setting up a, a situation, uh, kind of a, um, a hypothetical situation. And, and, and it turns out there's most of these things are things I have faced, and I know other friends have faced in ministry. And they're asking these men, writing for uh, pastoral advice. And so we have tried to kind of custom fit each chapter with uh, with men who we know, one, have been faithful for many years, and two, have dealt with these particular circumstances. And so the chapter is the answer to this query that the young pastor writes. So it deals with everything from financial issues. I mean, we know ministry 
uh, unless you're on uh, a certain television network ministry doesn't and preach certain doctrines that none of us uh, none of us believe are orthodox. So you're not going to be wealthy in ministry. I mean, this is not you're never in it for the money. And often you will struggle. You may have a church that struggles. I've I've I had the, the, the good fortune of ha- having both personal financial struggles and churches struggled with it. Uh, also, we have an excellent chapter on uh, ministering in a small town or ministering in an obscure place. I mean, you know, you, you know, Dave, uh, as well as I do, that the Twitterverse kind of gives people the impression that, you know, all these pastors are famous who are on the, who are, who are communicating by social media, speaking these issues. And really, you know, that's not true. I mean, you don't go into it for that. And, you know, one of the one of the questions we answer is what what's it like to be in a place where no one's ever going to know your name. I don't have a lot of followers on social media, anything like that. Um, chapter on how, when your devotional life goes stale, how do you how do you keep after? How do you keep continue to walk with the Lord? Because most fundamentally, pastors were Christians in the midst of our men, in the midst of our sanctification. Um, and just yeah, there, there are lots of issues handling conflict. Dave Harvey wrote a fine chapter on uh, when people leave, when your friends come to your church, they stay a while and they leave. They, they leave in anger over some trivial matter or important matter. Uh, how do you handle that? And they, these are just the kinds of things that make uh, that, that make you want to quit. I wrote a chapter on questioning your calling, and, and um, if you've never you're in ministry, you've never questioned your calling, then uh, you're, you've not been in ministry very long, probably, because all of us feels uh, we sense doubt, we wrestle with doubts and frustrations that make us wonder: Am I really good at this? Am I? Has God really? designed me for this? Am I called to this? Maybe not. And so, uh, you know, that's just part and parcel of the pastoral ministry. So we're just trying to trying to kind of stir up uh, encourage faithful endurance, just like the title says. And not just endure through gritted teeth, but uh, endure with joy. Uh, because the men, uh, a lot of the men, or all the men who wrote for this book, I hope, hope myself included, uh, do love the ministry. I mean, sometimes we talk about how difficult it is, but I think we also need to talk about the joys of doing this and how what a, a privilege it is to be called to serve the kingdom of God in this way. I think we talk about that far too uh, far too little sometimes, sadly. No, I, I agree. How have you learned um, to address doubt about your calling in ministry? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I write about. Um, what I what I write about um, in my chapter. I I went through this really probably the second, third, and maybe the really the fourth year uh, in in full time the full time ministry. Uh, so I um, I really uh, sympathize with these men who who even have been in ministry for a long time and doubt their calling, but especially young guys who've been in the ministry just for a short time and doubt their calling. Uh, and what I'm trying to do in here, I set up uh, a very gut wrenching experience I had in my first couple years in ministry, uh, which uh, is uh, probably, uh, sadly, not unique, but also try to kind of help men. And, and I'll admit, it's a bit subjective. I mean, because the Bible gives us qualifications for the minister uh, and, and things like that, but it doesn't exactly tell us how do you know you're, 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 that you're still called and things like that. And I believe, you know, if you're called to ministry and God has given you opportunities, then you're still called to ministry. Uh, and so uh, I, I think this, it's a lifelong thing. I don't think it's a, a thing that kind of comes and goes. One of the things I talk about in here is I, I think it's possible for a man to serve as a pastor for maybe, I mean, say serves 15, 20 years and then, for a season, he might go become a seminary professor or a seminary uh, administrator, or he might go to the mission field and plant churches or do things like that. I think ministry could take different shapes or different seasons, and that has nothing to do with calling. That's just God's providence. And so uh, I think uh, I, w- I want to challenge pastors to think about that if they think, well, I, I may I have opportunities and gifts to do uh, something different for a little while, but that's fine. I, I think I use David Platt as an example. David Platt is in my denomination and pastor in the Church of Brookfield faithfully for many years, and then... Um, and 
and then he uh, served as the head of the North American Mission Board, or I'm sorry, the International Mission Board. So it's been there for a number of years, and now he's back in pastoral ministry. And uh, and so uh, I, I think it's possible for for that to be something that I know I've wrestled with that, and uh, as I also teach seminary, uh, and, and really enjoy that. And I've asked myself, Professor, am I uh, am I a pastor? And I think the answer is yes <laughs> to both of those. Uh, I've had people in the past say, Well, as pastors go, you're probably a really good professor, and that's uh, there, there are probably days that's true, and vice versa. But um, you know, I use some examples in the Bible where, I mean, Paul, for example, Moses, Jeremiah. Uh, no one would, no one would ever argue that they had it easy. I mean, Moses didn't think he was a very good speaker. Moses thought he was, uh, you know, that he kind of lisped the things of God, uh, as a matter of fact. And yet, God called him. Uh, the people of God didn't want to follow Moses uh, because sometimes you can go to a place and be faithful, and the people. You may have a church full of unregenerate people, uh, or a number of unregenerate people. They're going to follow you if you're faithful preaching the word. Uh, then non-Christians are not going to resonate with that. The people of God will, but those who are unregenerate, they they won't uh, they won't resonate with them. So. But that doesn't mean you're not called. It just means that you've got uh, unregenerate people in your church. So I'll talk about that a bit. Uh, Moses was uh, Moses and Paul. Jeremiah, goodness, I mean, the people despised him. They threw him in a pit. They tried to get rid of him. They didn't want to listen to him. Uh, they, he, they they wanted him to tickle their ears, all those things. But these men, without doubt, were called. And so I think sometimes we confuse difficulty with uh, a lack of gifting. We even blame ourselves at times when it really isn't. You know, a man's being faithful is not his fault. Now, sometimes we do foolish things and try Try to bring about change too quickly and, and, and all kinds of things like that. It is our fault, but not always. Uh, and so I think I'm, I'm really aiming at the guy who's been faithful, who's not you know committed any immorality, anything like that. That certainly can be a disqualifier for uh, for, for for good. But a guy who's really been faithful but doubts it. Whereas I've, I've been there. I think I was for the most part faithful, but had some serious doubts. And so uh, that, that's who I'm trying to uh, seeking to address here. Uh, you know, if a church has confirmed your gifts of ministry, a local church, which is part of the call, uh, then you're probably still called. I mean, if you've kind of gone to that, uh, gone through that process of, of them having them objectively uh, uh, affirm your gifts and your calling, then you're probably still called. And if you want to continue ministry, you've been shot up and you still want to, uh, you still have a desire for the ministry, that noble desire that Paul tells Timothy about, then you're probably still called. Uh, those are just a couple of things I say. And another, another thing I say is ask your wife. What does she think about your ministry? Does she think you're still called, or does she think that somehow, uh, you, you know, this is, and I've seen this happen. Uh, I knew a guy in seminary. He, was, uh, he, he just really struggled in the ministry, and, and his wife and, and even some other people said, I'm just not sure this is what you should be doing. As it turns out, it really wasn't what he was called to do. So th- I think there's a lot of things. This is really, hopefully, practical wisdom uh, that I'm offering up here that I've, I've learned uh, from my own experience, and of course, it's scripture, biblically, uh, hopefully last description it'll help uh help guys sort through that when uh, the doubts come yeah i think that's really good and i think i think i love what you said about having your wife speak into it i think another thing is having your close friends um agree um you know godly men do they do they agree that you're called do other pastors that you know do they encourage you those types of things and you know i know in my case i'm you know this i'm applying to pastor positions and i have lots of pastor friends and they're like, yes, yeah, so you, you should be applying. It's not a matter of when, you know, it's just the right place, um, you know, sure. and those types of things. And uh, there's guys out there that, you know, it's just a matter of timing. And, you know, I, I know what it's like to, to struggle with depression and doubt. And I think for me, I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I made it into, for a long time, I made it into an idol. It's like there's this thing out there I'm being encouraged to do, been affirmed to do for a long time. And it hasn't happened. And. You know, 
Um, that's really discouraging. But remember that the the office is not the most important thing to you. It's uh, your identity in Christ. It's continuing to be faithful, to love your wife and obviously Jesus and serve wherever you are. In my case, I have a ministry where I get to, to do some pretty cool things. And as you know, Jeff, and um, so I just have to, for me, I just have to keep that in mind. And it helps to keep that in mind and helps me to stay focused and encouraged. So I would just say, I would just say that to the same guy out there just because you've been affirmed and everything and it hasn't happened that doesn't mean that it won't ever happen just be encouraged and stay focused and stay faithful yeah i mean that that's right i mean my my life sometimes i i, I joked in the previous question you asked me about being tri-vocational but I, I was a newspaper journalist for 23 years of course 10 of those years overlapped the ministry i'm not that old <laughs> before i went in, in ministry uh, full-time and uh and, and so I've always been a writer and an editor, and uh, and I still do that. And and uh, you know I've been a pastor now for for ten years, uh, and also I teach seminary. So people say, well, which one are you? Are you a writer, a pastor, a, or a professor, a scholar? And I just say yes, <laughs> yes I am. Uh, I'm those, and, and I've had to kind of come to terms with it that way because God has given me really good opportunities that I, I love and feel like He's given me new in all three places right now. I mean, I do feel like my most fundamental calling is as a pastor, as a shepherd of God's sheep and a preacher and teacher of His Word. Of course, you can do that. I mean, at the Gospel Coalition, we have thousands of you know, our, our congregation. It, it, you know, obviously we're not a church, so I don't want you know, don't don't get those cards and letters coming at me. To me. <laughs> we don't think we're a church. We know that, but but we have you know we, we have the privilege of serving a large audience, and I would do it through articles. I get to write and edit and bring uh, friends and write well and uh, have, have uh, plenty of good things to say on board there. So that's a, I think that's a good ministry in, in, a, in a sense that you serve Christians well. So, you know, I, I don't I don't think we need to draw the lines too sharp. Uh, now, Colin Hansen, our editorial director and a dear friend, is another example of this. In the in the 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me book, he wrote a chapter on uh, what to do when no church will call you. I mean, Colin wanted to be a pastor, and frankly, I, could, I think he'd make a fantastic lead pastor. He's one of these guys who's very gifted in so many ways, but he's also an absolutely incredible editor and writer and uh, manager of uh, editorial, uh, an editorial team. I can't imagine uh, anyone being any better at it, more skilled and gifted than Colin is, but I think he'd make just as good a pastor. But right now, for this season of his life, God has him uh, leading the Gospel Coalition. We're thankful for that. Uh, but uh, he's had to kind of come to grips with that. And, and I think someday, you know, the Lord may put him in a place where he is leading the church. I would not doubt that at all. He's still young, so a lot of experience, but he's a good a good example there too for someone who's just followed God's problems. Because I think that's the answer: you God opens the door, you walk through it, and you do, and you do that with all your might until God gives you another another opportunity, opens another door. So, Jeff, how do we handle it as ministry leaders when we feel tired, worn out, and in need of a break? Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> And Dave, I know you like that answer, right? Yes, take a break. This came off the Masters and a big, uh, one of the biggest stories in a long time there, so got golf on the mind. But no, you rest, uh, and that's something that has not come easy for me. Um, I have a good friend named Brian Croft, and some of your listeners will put, no doubt know Brian is the head of Practical Shepherding Ministries here in Louisville, longtime friend, and, and Brian is always on me about resting because I'm trivocational, and, and I'll admit I kind of like it. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these guys of you know the idol in my heart probably is work. I love to work. I mean, I've always when I 
worked in newspapers. I love to work. Wasn't uncommon to work 80 hours a week. I just like God's made me for that, I think, in some sense. But I can neglect a lot of important things in my work, too. So uh, it's, and, and I can get worn down and tired and burned out. And, and the answer to that is rest. Take a weekend off. Take a week off. Take take two, three weeks off. Uh, you know, if you're a pastor, give your church to give you a sabbatical. Get some, find someone in the congregation who's sympathetic to that and, and knows knows you, knows your motives, and and and, and get take a break. I mean, that is not sinful. I think sometimes we try to we overly spiritualize rest. But as John Stark points out in the chapter in our book, God rested, and I mean, God, and God didn't have to rest. God wasn't tired, but God rested. He set a pattern for us: the one day in six, uh, the, the the resting one day in six. Now for we pastors, that's a work day. Uh, that is a work day. Uh, the Lord says a work day. Now, we're not violating the Sabbath principle or anything like that, but you need a one day, and you need that pattern. You need one day a week. Now, right now, I, I do try to take one day. I, I have a hard time doing it sometimes, but I do try to take time off, and frankly, when I take the time off, I'm with my family, first of all, and we will go to the golf course. So my sons and I will go to a ball game or, you know, the the uh, uh, the symphony, do something like that that we enjoy doing together, and uh, I unplug from it. I, mean, I turn my phone off. I stay away from it. Uh, so, if you, you think I'm being rude, I don't answer my texts in a timely manner, you're probably right. And that's on weekends and, and days off, I simply just try to get away. And, and uh, because our the, our bodies need that. God doesn't need rest, but we do. And so I think I think it's just that simple. And um, uh, so John John Stark talk, kind of talks about a theology of rest, our book, a very fine chapter. And uh, Brian Croft, my friend of Practical Shepherding, he's written a lot about that over at their website. I would encourage you to go and read that as well, because Brian does take time off. And being, having him as a friend has probably saved me from... Uh, you know, a heart attack or something over the years because he's talked to my wife and said, make sure he listens to me and takes some time off. He knows how stubborn I am. So, um, but no, it, it, it is. Just don't overly spiritualize this or think you're sinning. Because even when I'm, you know, if I'm, say, I'm watching the Masters like I did a lot last weekend, I actually had the weekend off. I didn't preach Sunday. I can start to feel guilty. That guilt starts to creep in. I think I should be doing something productive uh, or I should be visiting a church member. I should be encouraging, uh, you know, one of my young seminary students or something like that. And, and no, you, you need you we are not superhuman and we have to have rest our bodies wear down and we get burnout and anxiety and depression and you know you know, you've, you've wrestled with some of that too and so we need uh we need rest and so take rest and and, and have friends and fellowship and, and and you know have have friends inside your church and outside your church you can encourage you and just all the things like that that you do all the things you encourage your people to do do, do, do that and uh and i promise the lord will be very pleased with you it's not going to be a matter of sin mm, well said well just kind of maybe touching on the the similar thing that you you were just talking about how important is it in ministry that we remain grounded in our identity in Christ and not in the work of ministry? Boy, that's huge and that's difficult because I was out of pastoral ministry for about a year and a half and it it really felt like someone had ripped my right arm off. It felt like something was missing. And I, and I think I think there's about 50% of that was good because I was called and I wasn't fulfilling my calling fully. But also part of that was idolatry. I think it exposed in my heart that uh, there's a sense in which I found my identity in what I do. And again, I'm, and I'm not alone in this. I don't think I'm unique at all. And this is this is true of women. But men, and especially pastors, we tend to find our identity in our church, in the, the call to ministry, because it's such a high calling, such a... Again, such a great privilege and uh, such a high and holy calling that we 
we feel like that if we're not doing ministry, then we're not functioning the way God has designed us. And really, first and foremost, we're Christians. We are Christians who are being sanctified, who are being formed in the image of Jesus. And so our identity has always has to be found in Him because ministry is not always going to look successful. Ministry is not always going to be a source of joy. It's not always going to look uh, big in the eyes of, of men. And even yourself. I mean, uh, there's going to be times when you preach uh, week in and week out and nothing happens, or at least nothing you can see happens. Okay, so let's say that your identity is bound up having a church that's constantly adding members and growing. You're going to go through times when your church isn't growing, or maybe it's declining even, or leaving. If your identity is in ministry, then you're not going to be easy to live with for your wife and children. <laughs> to say the least, to put it mildly. But if your identity is in Christ, and you understand that this is just part of it, that this, uh, you know, that the, the, the God grows his church, he builds his church, not you, and your identity is found in him, and you want to please him, then that changes everything. I mean, you can let people go. You can, you know, as, as Luther put in his famous hymn of the Reformation, you can let goods and kindred go. You can, you can let people go from your church. Even people whom you love, uh, as long as you've not driven them away or anything like that, no, you've not sinned for them, you can, because your identity is not bound up in that. Or let's say your identity is bound up in how many books you write or something like that, then, you know, you're, you're just going to be always chasing, uh, you know, chasing the next big thing thing that's going to make you, uh, that's going to keep you satisfied. But really your satisfaction has to be in Christ. He has to be enough with you. Um, ministers, pastors, we're a, um, I think we're a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, we're a, <laughs> a pretty unstable lot overall. We're prone to depression, uh, prone to anxiety and, and doubt. And so, you know, we really have to ground ourselves in in Christ and in Christ alone and seeking to, to please Him and to grow in Him. And all the things that just a regular Christian does. And so that that's an absolute must. But it's not easy because you're always fighting yourself. I think that's where rest comes in. Um, I'm, I'm a really, uh, I'm a big extrovert. And so, but I've learned over the years that I need to have quiet time as well. Because um, if I don't, uh, I get crabby. And Dave being crabby is not good because I'm also very stubborn. And so, wow, I'm stubborn. Yes, I'm very stubborn. There you go, everybody. I said it on a recording. You know, I've just learned that I have to have that time. So when it's time to eight hours hits, I'm I'm done for the day. I'm I'm done. I'm turn off the computer. Um, and I. And I go relax, read a book, watch a show, hang out with my wife when she gets home, and, and just unwind. And I think that it's uh, it's helped me tremendously um, to be able to deal with things in a better way all across the board. And on the weekends, I, I generally don't do anything, any work. Now, I understand that my job is different than than the being pastor, so I'm not saying that. But just find that. I would just say, just find that time. Um, if you want to last for ministry, really take um, see yourself as a whole person and 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 take care of yourself all across the board. Because that's I know I I've burnt out. I've I've gone down that road, and it's hard to come back uh, from that. And and so I, that's what I've had to do for myself and encourage people that hold me accountable t- to say, Hey, how are you doing as a person? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Just uh, yeah. here's here's what I here's what I want here's what I want you to do, and just giving permission to people. Hey, hold me accountable to this, and so that uh, I'll, I'll be okay, and um, I'll continue to be able to do this. So there's Jeff. There's a lot that we could really cover on this, and um, one maybe one other question before we get before we conclude here. Why are small rural churches a vital part of the body of Christ? Well, I think quite simply. 
because they are the majority. I think sometimes we get the idea that the megachurch is dominant uh, in our country because they're the most visible. They have the television programs. Typically, they have pastors who write books. Uh, they have pastors who teach in seminaries. They are around in the in the uh, sort of the orbit of some of our seminaries or one of our seminaries. But really, they're the they're they're the, they're the uh, minority. Uh, the, the majority report is the rural small rural church. I have many many uh, friends who pastor rural churches. I grew up in a, a small rural church, and uh, I love. My my favorite chapter in our book, uh, In Faithful Endurance, is probably the one written by Mark McCullough. And Mark McCullough is not a, is a man no one had ever, had ever heard of before, probably. Not many people. There's many of us who have known him for a long time and love him, but just out there in the book-reading world, not many had heard of him. Now, you've probably heard uh, of his son, Matt McCullough, who wrote a very fine book last year called Remember Death. Uh, I, I've uh, known Mark and Matt for many, many years since Matt was a teenager, actually. So it's really incredible to see Matt write a book and be such a, a faithful, uh, uh, faithful witness for the gospel and, and faith, doing faithful work down in Nashville as a, as a pastor of growing church, a very uh, vibrant church there. But but Mark, Mark pastors Frisco City, Alabama, uh, the First Baptist Church of Frisco City, Alabama, as a matter of fact, and. Um, he has about 100 people, and he's always had between 80 and 100 people. And he's been there three decades. He's been faithful. He's preached and taught the word of those people. He's loved those people. He's he's married them. He's buried them. He's he's uh, he's preached to their children, their grandchildren. And and his uh, his chapter uh, details all that, and it's glorious. And Mark is one of my heroes precisely because Mark has been faithful in a hard place. I'm, I'm from a little town in Georgia called Blairsville uh, in uh, the North Georgia Mountains, about two hours north of Atlanta, Appalachian Mountains, very similar similar church to the one Mark pastors I grew up in. And those guys are out there slogging it out. And I know that's not easy when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have a lot of support. You don't have a lot of friends, maybe. You don't have a lot of pastors who are like-minded. I mean, especially if you're reformed. And, and uh, we, we hear this in TGC all the time. In fact, we even started a, a small town rural places initiative. We, we did uh, at the conference a couple weeks ago, national conference, we had a we had a, a break, a, uh, a session on why we love small places that Don Hansen, who's from a small town in South Dakota, um, 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 Don Carson, whose father, a pastor of a very small church, a very obscure small church in Canada, faithfully for many, 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 many years, um, and, and, and a couple other guys, we've uh, been trying to trying to small town pastors in this way because we know a lot of our readers at TGC are small town pastors, maybe even the majority of them. We talk a lot about the city, and that's well and good, and praise God for that. But boy, these small places—they're you right right across our country, and I, I travel a lot, and they're just there's. Uh, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of small churches that dot the, the landscape, the countryside in our church, in our uh, country, and so we need to be ministering to those men because they are strategically vital for us. And they need good theology, and encouragement, and all these things. They need great faithful endurance too. <laughs> Amen, brother. I agree. Well, Jeff, as we uh, there's a lot that we could talk about and probably should, but just as we land the plane here, um, can you uh, help us give us a few takeaways as listeners go ahead and pick up faithful endurance? Well, uh, I mean, the takeaways in the title, um, it is a joy, really the subtitle, it is a joy and a privilege to shepherd people. And to do it for a lifetime, I can't imagine any higher calling. I can't imagine any better way to spend your life. You know, John Piper wrote a book, uh, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago that had a massive impact on many of us, myself included. Don't waste your life, and of course, you know the listeners will be uh, familiar with this book, of course. Um, but you know, I, I think sometimes we we focus on how difficult pastoral ministry is to a point where we we, we sap our ministries of joy. We we don't we 
we don't uh, wake up every day saying we don't wake up every day saying I have to do this instead of I get to do this. And I think we want to encourage you to say, look, we, look what we get to do. I mean, I try to. I pray about that every day. Ask God, help me to say, look what I get to do. Help me to see this as a privilege. Because when I was in seminary, uh, before I pastored, I was so eager to do this. It was a privilege to be there every single day. And then I went out ministry and got body slammed a couple times and started to see this as you know, more of a, a flavish kind of calling. And it's not, you know, that, that's not true. I mean, this is a, an incredible calling. And it's an incredible way uh, to, to, to work every single day. And it's a privilege. And we want, I think we want our readers to take that away. But yes, it's hard. But what would you want to do with your life? How would you want to uh, spend your life any other way than watching God, having a front row seat, watching God build his church and keep his promises in scripture and watch lives be transformed by the powerful gospel to the glory of God. So I think that that's the takeaway. It's it's designed not to be a, uh, a lament, but much more of a, uh, a spur to your joy, to take joy in pastoring and shepherding your people, even joy in the suffering, because it's doing thing, great things presumably in you and certainly will do good things through you. For God's glory. Well, Jeff, I I really appreciate uh, the book. I thought it was excellent. I know that uh, it did quite well at, at Shepherds. I'm I'm assuming it did well at TGC. I wasn't there, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing at Southern and TGC. Uh, appreciate your friendship personally. Uh, you're an encouragement to me and to many people. So thank you, brother. Likewise. Thank you, brother. Thanks for uh, the opportunity to, to be on your show again. Always a privilege. Anytime. Thank you for you as well. Thank you, brother. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.